Hi friends, welcome to the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast with me, your host, Hannah. On the show, I'm joined each episode by an amazing guest to have an honest conversation, share our real life experiences and tackle stigma and misconceptions around mental health along the way. We believe that everyone would benefit from focusing a little more on their mental well-being, and we're here to support you to do just that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Hope you are having a good week so far. Hope you enjoyed Monday's episode. And before I jump into loads of thoughts that (laughs) are on my mind at the moment, I want to say a massive thank you to Sabrina for for joining us. And definitely something that I took away from that conversation that I've been using and thinking about is that idea of what we're saying yes and no to. If we are saying yes to something, it means we're saying no to something else. And sometimes what we're saying no to is ourselves. So really uh, considering and being mindful of what we are saying yes to and what we're saying no to. Um, another little, I feel like I'm going to try not to become like Mrs. Catchphrase today, but that um, I do that no is a full sentence that we don't need to justify that no. We can just say, no, sorry, I can't do that. Um, I definitely someone that feels like I need to like over justify something, not you know, people pleasing in there, not wanting to let people down. And so feeling like you need to kind of convince them of your reason. And it's something I'm working on that I don't need to sell. Um, and this is something actually Jess, who's been on previously, and I did her confidence group coaching program recently. That's definitely something that um, she has said that, you know, you're not selling it to them. You can just say no. I say just, it's a word. That <laughs> it can be really difficult to say no but it is okay to say no in itself without all the rest of the stuff. Um, so that was kind of one of my takeaways. Uh, today, we are, get, I'm getting a bit personal in this conversation with Jeff, Jeffrey that uh, joins us. We're talking about mind-body connection. And obviously on the podcast, we are a lot in the, the mental space, but often what comes up is things like nutrition, things like fitness, things like sleep, comes up a lot, comes up again today, spoiler alert. <laughs> but all these things that on a physical and physiological level have an impact on our mood, on how we're feeling, on our mental health. So actually it's not possible to separate them, but uh, we tend to focus in that mental space specifically, but it is all connected. Um, but one of the things that we're talking about today is body image, the idea of comfort eating, the way we feel about ourselves, and we can get caught up in that idea of perfection um, and physically what perfection is like. Um, and so through this conversation and my sort of reflections and additions that I make, and then Jeff asking me questions, yeah, it gets a little personal body image. So um, enjoy that. <laughs> but I think it's you know, with the podcast, people come on, they share their stories. I think it's very powerful to share stories, to share our experience. So I'm always happy to be open, to answer questions and to share what's coming up for me. And and maybe that will also speak to something that comes up for you. Maybe it won't. Um, But yes, Um, before we dive into this conversation with Jeff, which was so much fun, I really enjoyed it, really valuable stuff. Uh, I kind of want to briefly touch on a bit of a current events type thing I guess um so I don't know if you've been watching um, or listening to any of the Olympics coverage but kind of big news was about Simone Biles taking a step back from the competition for her mental health and a lot of other stuff going in there about possibly not being able to have her medication for ADHD and that's a whole other kind of conversation we can have but I've also seen uh, a mixed amount of media responses to Simone's decision uh, some being very supportive that she's an amazing role model and some including Piers Morgan saying um you know that about not being something basically suggesting that she's mentally weak but not being able to compete and I just want to I, I did an Instagram tv kind of sharing of thoughts but I think being open about your mental health is not it's not weakness at all it's so 
strong and brave to one even sometimes acknowledge to yourself what is going on to talk to the people around you about what's going on and to be on such a big platform where with I can't even imagine the amount of expectation and pressure and to say no I I can't do this I need to take a step back because sometimes it's easier just to keep going uh, because you have that momentum you have all that pressure just to kind of I'm going to shut down what I'm feeling I'm going to switch off from that I'm going to have that sort of disconnect actually which is a lot of what we talk about today and just keep going it can be so difficult to say to to really listen to ourselves and say actually I can't do this and so I think the fact that she's done that is amazing for herself it's absolutely not a sign of weakness it takes tremendous strength and I think I think she was already an amazing role model but I think in this way every time someone really publicly speaks about mental health I think then we have more conversations um, and actually for someone really young and on that stage to say even in that sort of setting it is okay to you know be looking after yourself look after your well-being um, then yeah I, I think it's a really positive thing and I doubt she will ever listen to this but certainly had lots of best wishes um, that, that you know that she's okay um, and yeah, I think it's something we comment on occasionally, the sort of the, the media stuff. I think it's also really important that we have everyday conversations about mental health. That it's not just about people who are in the public eye, but it kind of shines a light on mental health stuff. And so I think it's important to comment on. So there's some thoughts. And in some ways, it is kind of relevant to today's conversation. I was just sharing it as a thought because it's something that's um, in, the, in the news at the moment. But kind of relevant so we're going to dive into this conversation with Jeff I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did and I'll be back super quickly at the end hi everyone and I'm really happy to welcome today's guest Jeffrey to the podcast so Jeffrey welcome and if you could introduce yourself to us and tell us a little bit about you I know thank you for having me here yes I am a health and wellness coach specifically mind body coach and one of my friends kind of refers to me as a relationship coach and that relationship being the relationship between your mind and your body. So I help people uh, learn how to take better care of themselves by paying attention to that relationship of your thoughts and your feelings and what's going on for you mentally and what's going on for you physically. And how do these two interact and converse or sometimes not converse? Because a lot of times we live in a very divided place where our head is way, way out there and our body is left behind over here. And uh, that causes a lot of distress among other things. Yeah, I mean, I def- definitely can relate to what, you know, what you're saying about that that disconnect. And and it's interesting because we talk a lot about mental well-being on the podcast and um as the, the kind of domain that we focus in most, but it's connected completely, like you say, um, the the mind and body, but we have this weird habit, um, which we do as well on this podcast, but anyway, <laughs> of separating them completely. So what, why, <laughs> why do we do this? Yeah, we, it's part of our culture, right? It is, and, and there's a long legacy, a history of, this, you know, separating the mind from the body, kind of going back to Cartesian dualism and, and perhaps even, even long before that, um, you could argue that, you know, the, the mental has separated from the physical. And yeah, we talk a lot about, you know, mental health being one thing and physical health being this other thing. And while they are distinct, they are very interrelated. And that's the part that fascinates me and the part where I find it most helpful to intervene because we can see the ways in which taking care of our bodies is taking care of our mood and our mental health. And then, you know, when we can work on our mental health, it helps us then be better stewards and caretakers of our body. And so you get this synergistic relationship, you get this partnership, as opposed to what I often see happening is really not only is there a breakdown. So I like to, I like to think of the mind and body, like a, like a relationship, right. Where there's, (laughs) um, you know, and like at worst, like there is a total divorce <laughs> and it is an ugly divorce, right? And your mind and your body kind of hate each other. And there's a lot of yelling and arguing and they don't get along. 
Um, and the mind really often tries to kind of dominate the body, right? Like you're like our thoughts act like little dictators. And maybe we've had this experience where, you know, your mind is like, do this, sit here, eat that, don't eat that. You're ugly. I don't like when you feel that way. I don't want you to do this thing. Come on, can't you just get your action together? Like all of that stuff is like just the mind acting like a dictator towards the body. And so like we need to, if that's our starting place, like we have a long way to go to come back into relationship. Like first we need to just like establish talking terms with each other. And then slowly we can begin to build trust. You know, I say like, you know, imagine your roommates and you're living in, the, in a house together. You know, it's like, how can you at least put up with each other and not, you know, cause more harm than needed. And then ultimately get to a place where you enjoy hanging out with each other, right? <laughs> where it's like, where you can allow your mind to be where your body is and actually come into this collaborative partnership. Cause that's how I truly believe we're, we're meant to be. That is our own kind of innate wholeness, but we, we forget that we lose track of that. And as I said, a lot of that is, is the culture that we've been steeped in that kind of pulls us apart. And some of that is just also natural psychology as we develop and, and grow, like, you know, our, our concept of self and our mind kind of grows out of our body, but that growth begins to kind of dissociate, you know, and we need to bring it back. Yeah, I, I love that image of the, you know, the different stages of the relationship and kind of relating it to roommates and and also that that kind of process, because I think it's when you have those, um, that idea of loving yourself. And if you're at that place of hating yourself or that divorce, you look at the other one and you think like, how am I ever <laughs> going to get there? And so having those steps that, okay, we'll just be like on speaking terms first and then. Yes, that's, I, that's so important. I love that you say that because I, you know, I hear this a lot, especially in the health and wellness space. You know, there's a lot of talk about loving yourself and loving your body and yes, I agree. I think that's absolutely vital and absolutely necessary. However, I see that as sort of the end goal of this process. And a lot of times we confuse the means for the end. Cause as you're saying, if we're starting from this place of divorce, like love is really, really far off there, you know? And it's like, so like if I'm down on myself and I'm really self-critical and like really kind of self-loathing, like the idea of self-love is oof, like, forget about it. And this is especially true, I think, for men. I do a lot of work with men and men's health. You know, it's really hard because, you know, introduce love and it gets really more, you know, we're, we're bringing up a lot of the masks of masculinity that don't allow men to be emotional and talk about love and self-love and all these things. So it's, that's like a really difficult concept. And so I say, you know, like, hey, let's just like park it. We're going to park that self-love out there in the future and say like, that's something that's, it's great. It's invaluable. We can get there, but let's start back here. As you said, back here, it's like, Step one, I think, is, you know, often what I call respect, self-respect. I'm like, all right, you know, you don't have to love your body and every single thing about it, but can you at least respect it? And I think that's something that most people can get on board with of like, oh, you know, like maybe there are times when I'm like, I am kind of disrespectful towards my body, you know, and I force it to do things that it really doesn't want to do, or I push it past the point where it feels like it's actually needed and comfortable and necessary. And so, you know, moving along this continuum, you know, maybe from self-loathing to self-respect and then from self-respect to self-friendliness, right? Of like, you know, hey, like actually, you know, my body can do really cool things and it's the source of so much pleasure and joy and excitement. And like, that's kind of fun and that's kind of nice. Like I, I you know, we need to take care of each other. And then we move from self-friendliness kind of down this path, eventually maybe getting to a place of self-love. Maybe we don't ever get fully there. You know, we're all constantly works in progress, right? And um, but I think just seeing it that way as this developmental continuum makes it a lot easier. And so we don't get kind of down on ourselves for being like, ah, you know, I can't, that self-love thing, it's too much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I have so many questions to ask you. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we kind of dive into that, how we get through those steps, because we really like to be kind of tangible, you know. Mm -hmm. um, first, before we get into that, if we're in this like divorced state, um, or even maybe not as as far down as that, what is the, the kind of risk or the impact of us staying there and staying in that kind of disconnect? Yeah, so this divorce state is as we put it and, and you know, again, maybe it's not, maybe it's not a divorce, maybe it's separation, maybe it's just an argument, you know, <laughs> because at the end of the day, like you are stuck together. <laughs> Right. So, and again, this is sort of the irony of it is that like, even if your mind wants a divorce from your body, it can't ever get it. 
And it can try, right? It will try to escape and run away and, and numb out the body with substances and things, you know, and, and a lot of this causes, uh, you know, a lot of harm. So that's one piece of it is a lot of addictive types of behaviors are the result of this sort of mind body um, disconnect. And then ultimately this sort of mind over body domination, you get, you know, a lot of self-sabotaging behaviors, whether that's you know, using food or alcohol or drugs or sex or any other number of things to, to try to kind of push and numb the body or, you know, make it feel a certain way or to escape it entirely. Uh, and in my personal journey, I had an eating disorder as a teenager. And I saw this as sort of the ultimate mind body disconnect where, you know, my mind was at war with my body. And, you know, I had this narrative going on in my head about, you know, what I could eat and what I couldn't eat and how my body looked and how it needed to look and, and, and all of these stories of controlling my body and not letting it feel what I, you know, it naturally felt. And, uh, and so you can end up with a lot of disordered patterns of eating, disordered patterns of exercising. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, this launches us right back into that realm of, of mental health. You know, we think of you know, and this is what makes an eating disorder such an interesting thing, because it is sort of categorized under the banner of, of a mental health disorder. However, it is, it is intimately about the body and the relationship with your body, which is, I think, what led me to the work that I'm doing now and, and to really pay attention to that connection, because I felt that we couldn't fully address one without the other. Yeah, thank you for sharing that um, from your experience. And yeah, I think eating disorders is such a complicated mental health condition because of the nature of it that it's something that you know we we can't not eat to to survive it's such an integral part of well surviving (laughs) but um so we talked about the mind being a dictator and actually I was just thinking is it possible for it to be like the other way around and for the body to be like right I am the dictator I'm in charge (laughs) is that is that possible that's a that's a really fascinating question. It's something that I have certainly thought about and pondered. And I'm like, hmm, you know, okay, it makes sense. Like I can see ways in which my mind, and I'm referring to the mind as simply the kind of the, the sort of discursive thinking part of our awareness. And I'm like, all right, well, like, can the mind be equally as uh, sort of devious? And I mean, uh, sorry, can the body? And the answer that I typically come up with is no. I think the body can be sometimes misguided. It can be often misinterpreted. Uh, You know, I think it's difficult because a lot of bodily signals that are coming up, our minds, you know, take them and interpret them in a lot of different ways. And so I think the place there is like our, you know, our body's sole objective is to survive. And it doesn't really have any other ulterior motives. It's just trying to maintain this homeostatic balance, right? Trying to keep your organs regulated in the face of an ever-changing environment. And that's what your brain and your nervous system is trying to do is this constant adaptation of your sort of internal milieu with this external environment. And that's that's all it's ever trying to do, you know? So it's like, that's pretty straightforward. It's like body's trying to keep you alive. Whereas, you know, your mind has got a ton of other ulterior motives and agendas going on of like, well, I need to look good. And I don't want to be embarrassed and I want to feel good. And I want to get this person to love me. And I want to make sure this other person that, you know, and it's like, there, so it's, there's so many more layers to it. And so I think, you know, if, if, if like, you're going to have to trust in one or the other, I'm like, well, like the body is not really trying to lead you astray. The challenge there is when we're dealing, um, you know, with, you know, I guess you could, you, you could label it trauma, you know, things like post-traumatic stress, other stuff, the ways in which stressful events live in our bodies and they get reactivated and they get reactivated or triggered sometimes when it's not really needed. You know, there's a, there's a mismatch. Your body perceives something and it says, oh God, there's a threat here, but there's not actually a threat. And so therefore now the signals coming up from your body are trying to kind of push you into that threat response. um, And that can be unhelpful. So in that sense, I think it is important that we have a certain level of discretion, like you need to use the the logic and awareness of your mind to kind of verify like, hey, are the signals I'm getting from my body actually true and real and necessary right now? And because, you know, sometimes we might get all worked up about something that isn't actually something that we need to get worked up about. And so I think that's the kind of place where we kind of get into the nuance there of, of your question. Awesome. Thank you. It was just an interesting one that, you know, um, 
whether it whether it's kind of, yeah both ways um so hopefully everyone else is on board with us now that being in this disconnected state not not so great <laughs> long term so you know wherever we're kind of placing ourselves on that continuum how can we repair this relationship improve that relationship maybe get a little bit closer to that love space one of my favorite questions that i often ask when i'm when i'm teaching or leading a workshop at the very beginning i ask everybody this question and I said, on a scale from one to 100, how much of you is actually here right now? One being like, I'm physically here and I'm totally not with you, right? Like completely distracted, scattered all over the place, preoccupied. And 100 is like, yeah, I am, I am hanging off every word. I feel really embodied, really present, really here. And, you know, I've never gotten anybody tell me one, but I've also never gotten anybody tell me 100. And I think this is, the beauty, you know, because it speaks to the ways in which we are constantly kind of divided and preoccupied and scattered individuals. And again, our culture pushes us towards that more and more so with, with technology and, and other things that pull us in different ways. But I love that question because it, it's, it, it always pulls us back to assessing, to getting a really accurate picture of like, hey, you know, where am I right now? If I'm not where my body is, like, where are my thoughts? Where is my attention? Where is my energy? Am I projecting it all out there? Or is it actually back here? And so I think the first step always is awareness, awareness of what's going on, what's true for you right now. And so I ask that question. And then I have people come up with a number and say your number is, you know, 65. I'm like, great, like 65, you know, all right. And so then like, let's work with it. And then there's lots of practices, uh, mindfulness, and there's so many different mindfulness techniques and um, that are really helpful to start to become more centered, start to become more present, that can help pull your attention back into your body and noticing, right? Just like right now, noticing, can you feel your feet maybe on the floor, you know, wiggle your toes and ground your feet into the floor, right? Or can you notice just lengthening your spine and just adjusting your posture and taking a breath? And these are little things that just help bring your attention back in um, to, to go to your question of, you know, arguably, you know, the, the higher the number, the better off you're going to be in any situation, right? The more of you that's actually here means that you have more resources to draw upon. You're more adaptable. You're more resilient and capable to handle whatever the things that's going on, right? Because if you're super scattered and 50% of you is totally preoccupied with that thing, then if something is happening right here to your body, that means, right, you only have 50% of your capacity to deal with that thing. And so it's the goal isn't perfection. I'm, I don't, I think that's another pitfall of like saying like, all right, well, yeah, I got to do this perfectly well. I'm going to be 100% present all of the time. No, the goal is that ongoing constant awareness of like, yeah, you know, part of my mind is on this thing. I'm a little bit, you know, not here. And then having some tools to bring me back to remember, hey, well, actually, what is most important right now? And do I want to be more attentive or present to this thing that's right in front of me? And uh, again, that takes practice. You know, you got to practice this posture of self-awareness. Yeah, there's a, a quote that popped into my mind. And I think when I'm podcasting, I'm pretty present. But I reckon there's about like a 5% that kind of goes, oh, I'm going to write that down because I'm going to come back to that for a question. So there's that little bit. <laughs> I try not to get too distracted with. But, um, but there's a quote. Uh, I have no idea who it's by. I've forgotten. Um, it's this idea that striving for perfection or perfection is the it's like the enemy of the good. Because when mm -hmm. we're trying to get there, actually, it just doesn't, it's not like that um, aiming for the, was it the moon land and the stars or whatever. It's mm -hmm. actually, you aim for perfection and you just end up like in a pile on the floor kind of thing. It just gets in the way. Um, and that's, yeah, what yeah. my mind was on. I, yeah, the, you know, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. And my response to that one is always, you know, focused on connection over perfection. I think when we can come to this place of prioritizing connection, again, connection of mind and body within ourselves and then connection with whomever we are interacting with, it helps shift our mindset from this one of chasing after perfection. And perfectionism is such a huge thing. I think everybody has their own unique individual flavor of it. And some people, you know, perhaps have a, a stronger flavor than others. Um, but it's, it's definitely, you know, it's one of these universal human things that's, you know, we all, and, and it's, 
I like to always look at what is the, the noble, beautiful intention behind it. And I think you know, there's a part of us that, that obviously, you know, wants to do good work in the world, right? Wants to put out high quality things and wants to do stuff that has meaning and is beautiful and, and, and respectable. And, and, and that's great. But obviously when it becomes tethered to this notion of like, well, it must be perfect. And again, what is perfect? It's some mind-made model that we've decided that's like, this is the way it needs to look and feel and act in the world. Um, and, it's, and it's almost always unattainable. <laughs> And it can drive us nuts. Um, and a lot of times that those models of perfect aren't even ours. They're just inherited from our family, our education, our culture, right? Telling us like, oh, this is what a perfect body looks like, or this is what a perfect piece of work is going to look like. And, um, and so some, you know, we don't even question those and, and that's problematic as well. So now we're like, we're putting in all this energy, striving after this ideal that isn't even ours. So I think coming back to, to really assess and, and just develop a little bit sense of lightness around some of these things, right? And as this isn't about letting go of goals or aspirations, but again, it's, it's about loosening the need to, to have them look or one exact way. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the perfect body there, and I, I think that's quite an insidious one, isn't it, in our culture of this concept of the, the perfect body. But actually, even if you just look in um, at the images that have changed over time, or even now, there are quite different ideas of what the, air quotes, perfect body is. So you're maybe working towards a perfect that you haven't even looked at of, actually, is it what I think is good? Is it realistic for my body? It's just kind of come from wherever it's come from. And we don't agree on what it is, which just kind of shows that it's just not, it's not a thing because. It is an entirely culturally constructed notion of what makes a body beautiful, of what makes a body attractive, of what makes a body sexy. Uh, and and it, as you're totally right, this has shifted <laughs> generation upon generation, century upon century. And and you know, and I think it's it's a bit of a catch because as long as we exist together in a culture, and you know, we're gonna have these cultural ideals. Um, and so I don't think we can ever fully escape that. And we need to accept there's a certain the certain realities around that. Um, and we need to remind ourselves, as you just said, that you know, not to not to judge ourselves so harshly because we don't fit the model and the mold that our culture says is beautiful. You know, and, and it's, it's great, you know, so I, I forget the name. Somebody's done like really great work around um, capturing the ways in which like the ideal, uh, you know, body form has shifted. And, you know, and obviously there's, there's a ton of gendered stuff in here. And I think though the ways in which our society has objectified the female body, you know, is, is perhaps is, is greater than the ways in which it has for the male body. But, but for both, you know, the, the norms have shifted, you know, and sometimes being more curvy is more desirable and sometimes being less curvy or, you know, and then particular body parts like, oh, you know, big butt, small butt, big boobs, small boobs, wide shoulders, you know, for men, it's like, do you want to have that really strong kind of like Hulk look or do you want to have this more lean uh, kind of like Brad Pitt, uh, you know, fight club look, right? I mean, and um there's no, there's no one right way about it. So like I, I, I celebrate body diversity as something that I'm always pushing towards in the same way that I think biodiversity in terms of plants and animals and insects and other species on the planet, like ultimately is the sign of a healthy and robust ecosystem. If we allow for body diversity as humans, like it's, it's a, you know, we need to celebrate that. And now there, there is a bit of a catch and this is opening up a longer conversation of like, well, people are like, well, you know, isn't being overly fat unhealthy? You know, like what about obesity? What about, you know, all of these things? Like, shouldn't we all be slimmer? Like, isn't that better for us, for our health? And, and this, is, this is a really tricky place to try to reconcile some of what sort of the medical science is saying about body weight. And then also coming from this very body positive and acceptance place of, of recognizing again, the, the diversity and they're not getting hung up on a particular shape. Yeah, I think that is such a, a complex area. And I think also we get caught up on like BMI, which is just mm -hmm. this <laughs> a really old measure that makes no sense. So mine and, and I um, am, a, you know a bit overweight but actually size wise I'm kind of just around average for like UK size but according to my BMI I'm like obese because I've got a lot of muscle and so it doesn't 
take that into consideration at all. So purely on BMI, it's like you need to to do same. But actually, if I see a doctor, they're like, actually, you're all right because mm-hmm. and and lots of rugby players and stuff are like unhealthy. Yeah, on this yeah. it's just. And my my BMI often is in the overweight category, and and you know I totally agree with you. BMI is a particularly uh, crummy variable and metric. You know, it's just it's just so limited. And so what I'm always pushing for in my practice is, you know, I use the word holistic, but it just means like we can we include more and more, like because any single data point is not going to tell us a whole lot. And as you said, it's like, you can have a BMI as you're overweight or you're obese. And then we start looking at what's going on in your body and you can be metabolically very healthy. And there are other, and the opposite is true where people that are at a quote, normal body weight are metabolically unhealthy in the sense they have poor blood sugar control or uh, high levels of, of lipids and or high levels of inflammation. And, and you don't know that until you start doing, you know, blood panels. And so it's like, we need to, again, take all of these pieces into consideration, which is uh, a part of getting a more holistic snapshot of your health. And then to tie that back to the, the mental health piece of, you know, when, when you're metabolically unhealthy, like it affects your mood and your energy, you know, a lot of depression and anxiety uh, has metabolic roots in term and, you know, whether that's your hormones are out of whack, um, whether that is particular parts of your nervous system that aren't kind of firing or cooperating the way that they, they should be. Um, you know, so it's, it's really interesting to think about, you know, um, depression as a metabolic disorder as much as it is a, a psychological disorder. Yeah, it's definitely with my own like depression journey and I'm a classic comfort eater is my, like, one of my things and that never healthy stuff. Comfort eating is never like, the, the nurturing choices of food and actually exercise was like, a, you know, a big thing that helped, but probably a massive part was, you know, what I was eating when you're not in a good place, you have no energy and then you go for the stuff that's going to give you that mm. sugar boost and it's not, it's like a vicious cycle. Um, but um Oh, I had a great point, probably, but it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that that point itself about the vicious cycle, right, is something that's it's so many of us have experienced, right? <laughs> uh, you know, and and when we dig into it, let me ask you a question. You know, when when you get to that point of comfort eating, does it happen in a certain place or time? Um, I mean, it could be anywhere, but I've I've definitely noticed like a a flag um, that if I've taken on a lot, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm not sleeping well. I've got no energy. I don't want to cook. I can't handle going to the shop. I just want to eat like a massive greasy burger from somewhere that's just like easy, or I just want to eat all the chocolate (laughs) or whatever. And so I've got better at kind of recognizing, Ooh, look, this is the the warning signs. Um, But I remembered what I was going to say that actually, you know, I, I actually for a long time, I didn't look at weight and I do look at it as a informational metric but I tend to now go on how do I feel in my own skin how do I feel like my clothes fit because that's often like a telltale of like I'm feeling quite bloated I'm feeling quite heavy exercise feels more difficult I just don't feel right in my own skin anymore I don't feel like me anymore and that's my measure now of going actually something isn't quite right I need to think about the choices I'm making um and then quite quickly, actually, it starts to, to improve. And then I can see, oh, I'm feeling better. I'm, you know, sleeping better or whatever. And so actually for me, and I don't know if this is something kind of in line with, you know, how you work of that, just actually just tuning into myself a little bit more and um, recognizing and then mm. adjusting. Yeah. I love the tuning in, recognizing, adjusting. That is the mindful approach to self-care. And I'm wondering, Hannah, for you, like, where did you, where did you learn that? How did you get to the point where you could get less hung up on weight and, you know, more in tune with the, the inner, the inner sensation and how you feel? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I think I, I think it's been a gradual thing working on my own relationship with myself. Cause I started with my depression at point, I, I hated myself, particularly my body image was a massive part of that. Um, you know, I put on weight when I went to uni and and then kind of felt like I just don't feel like myself anymore. Um, and actually I, you know, had in that in my mind, like actually I want to lose weight because it doesn't feel healthy. It doesn't feel like me, but I 
got quite into CrossFit and actually I'm really strong. I can lift a lot. Like my cardio is not great <laughs> at all, but I'm, I'm really quite strong. And I remember we were bench pressing out to bench with the boys because of <laughs> the weight. And so actually I was like, Oh, if I just have this one measure of fitness of, Oh, I can run however far. And I'm this particular body type, actually that, you know, I, I can look at myself weightlifting compared to other people and go oh actually maybe I'm quite fit and so that sort of started changing my perception of it um, and I think generally kind of getting into more mindfulness and that stuff so I think it's been a long gradual process that I'm still yeah still going through but and I appreciate you sharing that thank you and just highlighting that it is it is a long gradual process and that part sometimes is difficult for people because we all want fixes, right? We want instantaneous results right now. Uh, and recognizing again, this mind body relationship is the fundamental relationship you have your entire life. It is constantly going on. And like every relationship, it takes ongoing work and energy and it changes over time. And you're constantly learning and you need to try different things. And what worked in your relationship a few years ago might not work now. Like, and so these are all the lessons that I think are are really important and it's to, you know, to spread out and look at it as this longer time horizon, but also see the, the progress that you're making. And, and I love the parts, you know, kind of, as for so many people, I think it does often begin when we're in a bit of a low place, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, like, and, and dissatisfied with our current state of health and well-being. And the, the part that stood out to me was when you said, you know, it, it, it didn't feel like myself, like, you know, like I didn't, you know, my body was doing this thing, but like, it didn't feel, it didn't feel like me. And I think that's really telling of, you know, I, I, all of us have this internal compass of like what it's like. We know what it's like to feel most fully ourselves, to feel like we're living up to our potential of who we could be and what we could be in the world. And so I like to try to first get people to pay attention to that voice, then clarify it into a more clear vision and then, and then start investing your energy into that. Right. It's like invest your energy into kind of that, you know, your best self. What is that potential? And then at that point, you got to take your hands off and say, you know what? I'm going to let my body just take whatever shape it takes because I know if I'm doing this thing and like I really feel like, oh, yeah, like I'm feeling strong, I'm feeling energized, like I'm feeling good, then my body will, will do what it needs to do. Right. And it will probably move towards something that is more favorable. But at the end of the day, again, like that's pretty much out of your control. I think that's maybe the thing with the, you know, we're talking about weight and the body positivity and stuff. And actually, if you are feeling comfortable in your own skin, kind of wherever that is, that's that tuning in. And I guess for me, it was actually at certain points going, I don't actually. Mm. And that's more important, I think, than any number on the scale or size yes. or whatever. I totally agree. I wish we could design a scale. You get on it, right? And it's like, how comfortable do you feel in your body right now? You know, because <laughs> um, like that is that is ultimately a metric that I think so many of us deep down want. You know, we all want to wake up in the morning and just look at ourselves and and not be disappointed, not be critical. Uh, you know, again, this goes back to the idea of self love. Just you know, just love ourselves, or at least like you know, be be satisfied and be excited of like, hey. Like I, I have this body that gets to do all these things today. And, um, and, you know, for me, this idea that, you know, our, our bodies ultimately are here to play and to play with others. And we should constantly be uh, searching for possibilities and opportunities to play and to invite others to play. And, um, you know, so play is sort of the pinnacle and there's, you know, these foundations of you got to you know, take care of your health and your sleep and your nutrition and then work on your fitness and both mental fitness and, and physical fitness. And then like all of that builds up to this place where like play just is sort of the natural thing that happens. It's, it's what happens next. Yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, we were saying that actually often it's in low points where things change, where people reach a point where they're like, actually, something has to change. I'm not satisfied anymore and often when you see people who've then had this this massive lifestyle change sometimes it's I want to be able to play with my kids that's like the catalyst that they've reached mm. a point where they just mm. can't play and it's such an important thing that they think that 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 that's it yes uh I love the bringing the play back in as you said catalyst this is something that's always on my mind because you know I, I my work is largely about 
behavior change. And I'm like, yeah, like how, how do we actually get people to change their behavior? It's so hard. A lot of us say we want to do it. And there is like, there is a part of us that wants to change. And there are many parts of us that don't want to change, right? Because the familiar is safe and the familiar is comfortable and the familiar requires less energy. And we can kind of just go on autopilot. And, uh, and so there are like a lot of inertia sets into the system and it takes energy to break that inertia. And that, that energy is a little bit of like willpower. That's the activation energy if we're using the words of physics, right? That's the catalyst. What's gonna be the catalyst? As you said, sometimes it is, um, it is like hitting a real low point where um, sometimes it is looking out into the future and saying, hey, if I keep going on this trajectory, I'm gonna end up in a bad place, in a place I don't wanna be. And it's that looking out and seeing this sort of like feared future self that you don't want and saying, you know what, I got to do something now. And then we start to create this more desired future self that we can move towards, um, you know, and, and then sometimes it's just totally external environments out of our control. You know, uh, something happens, somebody loses their job, you lose your job, somebody dies, somebody is born, like, you know, these large major shifts and you're like, I, I can't keep doing what I was doing before. And so time to change. Yeah. Oh, change is such an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, there's so much that we could just stay on like, all day talking about. <laughs> but um, before we move on to my, my set questions, do you have a final thought that you'd like to share, share with us? I think the piece about play and specifically about inviting others to play, you know, a big part of what I'm trying to do is help create cultures and communities and spaces where people can come together in play come together to heal, come together to support each other's health and well-being mentally and physically, recognizing that we're not here to do this alone. We can't, we're not meant to. And I think that's difficult too, because a lot of the, you know, mental and, you know, even more so on the mental side, you know, of, of health, like is we see in this very individualistic paradigm. And again, going back to, you know, kind of American or, or you know, uh, you know, European culture where it's like, if, if you have mental health issues, like, you know, maybe you talk about them one-on-one -on -one with a therapist, or maybe you talk about them one-on-one -on -one with your best friend. And, you know, and that's, and that's important. That's great. But it's like, we need to expand that even more because, uh, you know, the, the culture and care that we get from our community makes a huge, huge difference. And when we don't have those supports, um, it makes it so hard. You know, there, there is a loneliness epidemic out there. There is a lot of isolation and obviously COVID made that even worse. And, um, and all of these things are, are terrible for our mental health. Like we are social creatures. And so as much as, you know, I, I, I do private one-on-one -on -one coaching, I love working one-on-one -on -one and going really deep with each other, but I think we all together, we need to, we need to start working on building these structures um, that people can come together uh, to, to do these things, you know, and it's, it's important. And again, I, and I just highlight, you know, especially for men, I think there's not often a lot of places that men can go when they're having mental health issues that feel like they're getting the support from other men, like in, in ways that are helpful. And, um, and that, you know, this leads to a lot of violence and it leads to a lot of suicide and other things. So I guess, um, that's sort of my, my piece I want to in. Yeah, awesome and, and so important. And actually it's interesting you mentioned loneliness because the the town that I live in, which is quite a unique town in its own way, it's completely like independent town council. But the um the doctor's surgery did an uh, initiative all around loneliness and having people in the community in kind of shops and cafes who were trained to um to try and you know overcome loneliness that people could, you know, so many things actually in this area. Uh, like these benches that you can you know, sit and chat with people and so lots of initiatives to tackle it so um yeah there's little love pockets that. I, that, that's that's exciting I love you know yeah I love you know just the random little conversations and encounters those micro moments of connection which sometimes yeah. is a smile or just a an unexpected conversation because again those are those are those are moments of play in in my book you yeah. know, and, and, and I think they lift everybody up when we have them. And so I'm, I'm so happy that, yeah, there's, there's so many good people and organizations out there like working on this. I don't want to claim that like nothing is being done. A lot, a lot is being done. We just, we, you know, just keep, we need to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, on my set questions. I ask everyone and actually the first one feels quite fitting when we've been talking about play and, and fun stuff like that. Um, and that is what brings you joy in your life. Ah, mm. oh, there's, there's many things, but I, I, 
you know, the, the one that is most salient because it just happened probably an hour before this call is, you know, I went out for a run this morning and, um, you know, I'm gonna, not every time I go for a run is, is full of joy, but sometimes it is. Sometimes when you, when there's that, that beautiful mix of like humidity in the air, it's just the right temperature. It's not too hot, it's crisp. Um, especially if I'm going out early morning or later night, there's not that many people. I like, you know, I run along a river, there's a ton of trees. I'm surrounded by nature and bird chirping and sound. Sometimes I got my headphones in and I'm just playing some of my favorite music. And like, you know, again, there's this ecstatic sense of connection to my body as it's in motion while also being connected to the natural world around me and just like how beautiful it is to be among the trees and the plants. And then I have this elevate, you know, my heart rate's elevated, the music's going, I just want to throw my hands in the air and just be like, yeah, like, you know, like it feels effing good to do this. And I'm so grateful that I can do this because I recognize like not everybody can, not everybody wants to, but also not everybody can go for a run or has the capacity to do that or the capacity to do that in a way that has joy. But for me, it, it really, it is an elevated moment of, of joy that, that it fills me up and I'm just so happy. I'm like, yeah, this, this is cool. This is a cool human experience I'm having in my body right now. Um, and so that's, that would be one. I have, you know, there's many things of joy that involve my wife and my relationships and my family and my friends. I mean, it's the other like really big source of joy. Uh, and it goes back to that idea of connection. You know, I feel joy when I feel most connected, whether that's connected to my body and connected to my environment and connected to my people, that's when joy really just arises. Amazing. Thank you for that. Um, and I feel like if any, it's like selling running to anyone who's not it's like not that. And uh, yeah, you know, and I'm not, I'm not like a huge runner, but it is something that <laughs> I, I like to do occasionally. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So my next question is what makes life meaningful for you? Another big question that I think about deeply and, and, you know, what brings meaning to this journey that we are all going on in, in our bodies. And, you know, we wake up and we have a day ahead of us and they're, you know, especially if you have sort of an unplanned day, which maybe is rare for a, for a lot of us, but like maybe it's Sunday and like, you don't really have much to do. And it's like, well, like, what do you do to, to bring meaning to that day um, for yourself? Because I think, you know, th there is a ex very deep, deep desire for meaning. Every, every one of us craves it, you know, and, and we go to lengths to create it. And I think a lot of times we do that unconsciously <laughs> again, because we like, we sort of run the programs that we ran yesterday. Cause we're like, Oh, yesterday was okay. So I'm just going to, we'll do the same thing. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and that's fine. Of course, like that, that is an evolutionarily adaptive strategy to do that, but it kind of, it, it limits us a little bit because it says, well, you know, wait, there could be something even greater, more meaningful. Um, so I think, you know, my, my, my dual answer to your question of what brings meaning one is having conversation like this, um, conversations that I, that I hope are sources of health and happiness for people. Like I want to help people reduce suffering and cause less harm to themselves and to others. So if something that we earth today maybe does that, then, then that gives certainly meaning to, to my life. Um, but the other thing I love about this, you know, conversation and, and conversations like this, where it's like, we actually don't know what's going to happen. Like you said, like, we've got a topic, but there's no set questions. I don't know what I'm going to say. You don't know what you're going to say. We, you know, and, and to be fair, like we, we've never met each other. It's amazing. You know, I'm, I'm over here in Boston and, you know, across the Atlantic ocean, we're having this conversation. It is, you know, a Saturday morning for me. Um, so to, to, you know, to enter into this thing and then to create something new to, to expect the unexpected and to allow that space there to, for something new to arise, like that gives me meaning. Because I think, again, all of us, part of uh, like a huge, huge piece of meaning is creating. When we create something, it feels like it has meaning for us. And, um, and so that's the danger, again, of like recreating yesterday then starts to feel pretty dull and we get bored and we're like, eh, my life doesn't have a lot of meaning because I just keep doing the things I did yesterday. But when we can create these opportunities of like something new, like I'm going to create something new whether that's a hobby or create something in my work or create something with my family or my kids or work on myself in terms of my exercise and develop new skills, like with my body, like that's creating things. And uh, that gives a lot of me. Yeah, it was really beautiful, actually. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, so my next two questions are around our overarching topic on the podcast, which is mental wellness. And so the first one is what does mental wellness mean to you? 
So I, I love like definitions of words and etymologies of words and like, where does this word come from? And like, why, why do we use it? And, uh, and so I think about that, especially words that I use a lot, like wellness and well-being and health. And I'm like, well, what the heck? Like, what is, what is wellness? <laughs> and, and so I kind of, you know, I have a working definition and it's sort of always, it keeps changing and morphing a little bit. But right now my definition of wellness is the freedom to fluctuate without losing your center. And what do I mean by that? It's like the freedom to be able to hit those highs and enjoy those moments of ecstatic joy and the freedom to be able to be in those lows and feeling tired and worn out and exhausted and kind of in the dumps, right? All right. But without losing your center in the sense like there's always a part of you that feels centered and grounded and that has the ability to pull you back so if, if you're at that low, you know, you're like, you know what, I got a lifeline here, I can pull myself back. Or even if you're at the high, because sometimes the highs can be a little scary too. And, you know, you're like, you're like, you know what, like, it's okay. And so it's like, the, the, the well-being arises from developing that, that real strong center, but then also the capacity to fluctuate uh, in between. And I think, you know, that, that gives us, you know, emotional agility is, is, a, is a great term. It gives us flexibility. It's what makes us adaptable because you know we can't we can't pre-plan every moment of life, and we we don't want like we wouldn't want that. Part of us, like part of our brain, part of our our little planning mind says, you know, that would be great. Yeah, like let me know all the horrible things that are going to happen next month, right? But like no, like we don't we don't truly want to know because that would take all the fun out of life, right? It would be it would be already pre-written, and we would just be showing up mechanically acting out a script that is already there. And so you know, deep inside, we want novelty. We want a certain amount of surprise, um, you know, and, but again, it's like how much surprise can we handle, right? Depends on our, our tolerance, our capacity to be in those highs and to be in those lows. So when we develop this strong wellness, it says, Hey, I can be high, I can be low. And guess what? I still know who I am and know how I can get to this place that feels really steady for me. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for that image. And then my follow-up is always for yourself. How you look after your own well-being? So how mm-hmm. you stay you know, that, that ability to fluctuate and grounded and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's so many pieces to this. And I, you know, I've, I've written a lot about this on my, on my website and how you, cause there's, there's, there's inner pieces and then there's outer pieces, you know, outer pieces being structures and routines and how do you set up your environment, like specifically your home or your office, like wherever you spend the most amount of time, you know, I think there's things you can do behaviorally, um, I know we're not recording video, but you can see behind me, I've got like a pull-up bar here. I've got a yoga mat on the floor. I've got some foam rollers. You know, I just like, I leave these things around as reminders for me to like come back into my body. And, you know, those are, I think, you know, sometimes helpful little nudges that you can do. And the same thing with food of like, you know, like leave the the foods that you want to be eating out on the counter and the ones that you don't want to be eating, either get rid of them or put them, you know, put them someplace where you can't see them. Um, you know, and because at the end of the day, a lot of, a lot of processing is unconscious. And, and so, you know, we are products of our environment and in a battle between willpower and our environment, the environment usually wins in the long run. So we need to make sure our environment is conducive to our well-being. And, and, you know, I think big things for me are protecting sleep, making sure that I'm getting a full high quality night's sleep. And, and a lot of that has to do with just like having a good bedtime, you know, and um, I'm not telling everybody that they need to go to bed at nine o'clock or something, but just thinking about, you know, your sleep habits and patterns for the, like that is keystone because that sets in motion how much energy, you know, when you wake up, you know, how much energy do you have in your battery? Are you fully charged or are you coming in at 50%? Because uh, that, you know, life is really demanding a lot of us, especially right now in the midst of a global pandemic and, and all the other difficulties. Like, and if we don't show up with 100% battery every day, then like, you know, we're going to get burnt out. And I, and I, and I see this. And again, our, you know, so much of our cultural norms push us towards that. Um, so it's, it's pretty basic. It's, it's again, like, you know, take care of your sleep, stay, stay hydrated, like, you know, eat food that, you know, eat nourishes you. And this doesn't mean like never eat cookies, but just like eat more food that nourishes you than, than that doesn't and try to eat it in the right now. But again, obviously like this is, this is not easy. There's not easy practices, which is um, why I have a job. 
<laughs> you know, like if it were easy, then I wouldn't have any work to do. Yeah. Um, but I want to, but you know, I want to help make it easy. Like I want to help make it easy for you. So when you do have to make those decisions, like you, you are empowered with the awareness and the knowledge that you need to, to make better decisions. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for that. I'm going to uh, switch up the order of two of my questions. Cause I feel like actually in that answer, you've maybe answered one of the other ones, which is uh, I ask everyone that comes on to leave us with a couple of top tips of things that they'd recommend that we do in our life that, that could have a big impact. So <laughs> I feel like we've kind of mm-hmm. already given loads, but I don't know if you want to quickly just top one to three. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess on this topic of sleep, right, protecting your sleep is, is having a good wind down routine. Uh, that is a big piece there that I think a lot of people are just like, you know what? Yeah, like I can just work, 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 or run around, run around, and then I'm just going to jump into bed and fall asleep. Like, uh, like our bodies aren't really designed to do that, right? We're not designed to be going from this hyper alert, aroused place into this place of deep, restful sleep in a minute. Like it takes time we need to have our own sort of sunset, right? Like it doesn't go from being bright out to being pitch black in a minute, right? It takes a number of hours. And so I think we need to think of that just within our bodies. So I really encourage people to have some sort of wind down routine. And this involves good sort of sleep hygiene of, you know, trying to keep your room dark and cool. And, you know, making sure like you you have a space that's as quiet as it can be and as comfortable as it can be. But then also thinking about mentally, like what are you occupying your mind with in those couple of hours before you go to bed, right? Again, are you activating it? Are you feeding your mind really intense stimulation? And again, you know, our our minds are so addicted to those dopamine hits from our phones or to our favorite shows, which can be awesome, like wonderful things, but also psychologically really arousing. And again, that lingers in our system and we try to bring all that stuff into bed with us. And then there's no, you know, of course, like we have a hard time falling asleep, our mind's still going, or we have some insomnia or we, you know, we wake up in the middle of the night. So it's like, if you can, if you can give yourself that time, you know, maybe it's the hour before you go to bed where you just try to kind of turn down the dial, right? Turn down the notch on the types of activities that you're doing, the types of things that you're you're watching, listening to, paying attention to, uh, can be really, really helpful. So that's, I'd say like one excellent place to really start to dig into improving your sleep, which as I said, is going to improve every other part of your health. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. I yeah, definitely going to think about my sleep later. Um, so the next two, are super quick fire questions. Uh, so first one, how would you describe your mindset? Mm-hmm. It was funny. Like I, I think about mindset all the time and I don't know if I've ever been asked that question. um hmm you know and because I think of mindset as it's a without getting overly into like the psychological literature right there's a distinction between states and traits you know state is being like how am I in this moment and and states change all the time moment to moment you know am, am I really activated or am I really kind of like low and lethargic or you know um am I really optimistic or not. And, and so I'm, I'm constantly wondering, like, you know, our mindsets more states of like, you know, I can be in a really positive, awesome mindset right now. And 10 minutes from now, like something happens and I'm not in a good mindset, right? Or is there a more lasting trait, the trait being that more sort of like ongoing, where's that baseline that I come back to? Or like when I wake up in the morning, what's that sort of like general place that I'm, I'm my mind is, is occupying? Um, you know, I think my mindset, it, 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 I can kind of give you the little flavors of it. You know, it's, it's, it's really, it's hard for me to describe because I am in it, <laughs> you know, so I can only, I can only observe different little pieces of it. Like I actually need other people. Like I got, you know, I need you to tell me what you think my mindset is, right? Like we need other people to reflect back what we can't see in ourselves. I think my mindset is one of, again, balance. I try to uh, be really aware of the polarities in our life. Like I said, the highs and lows, the positive and negatives. Like, of course, you know, I'm a huge fan of positive psychology and, and like, I want to support happiness and well-being as positive things. But I think we also need to make space for, for the, for the, the, the grieving, the loss, the pain, the hurt, like those are equally important. And so I'm, I'm constantly, you know, my mindset is like, how can I hold both of these without getting lost in either of them. So it's very much this both and mindset, a mindset of integration. I'm like, all right, it is a systems mindset. Like, you know, recognizing we are systems, 
you know, our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our systems, and then we're living within systems, systems of families and governments and nations and cultures. And so thinking about the ways in all these systems interact is part of my mindset. Um, and, you know, I think those are, those are particular flavors and their mindset that like, I, I, I like to believe that the world and the universe is fundamentally friendly, like is benevolent. You know, I give it the benefit of the doubt. And now that doesn't mean that it's fair. And this, this is difficult. Like, I think the universe is friendly, but not fair. And, you know, I'm saying this as, as a, a white man with a lot of privileges in the world and trying to kind of come to a place of reconciling that, what that means for me. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know if that gives you a snapshot of, of my mindset. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. very <laughs> a lot, a lot of flavors. Thank you so much for that. Um, and Jeffrey, thank you so much. That brings me to my final question, which is where people can connect with you online. If they're interested in working with you, where can they find you? The best place is to just look up Jeff Siegel Wellness. You can find my website. I have a ton of resources on there. You can shoot me an email. Like if there's something going on again with your physical and mental well-being that is, um, you know, challenging for you and you're, you're looking for some support, please, you know, shoot me a message. I'd love to hear about your story and, and what, uh, what we can do. You can find me also on social media uh, at Jeff Siegel Wellness on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so it should be pretty, pretty easy to, to catch me there. And yeah, we'd love to love to connect, you know. Yeah, awesome. And we'll absolutely link in the show notes so people can find you nice and easy from there. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. I've really enjoyed it. I think we could have just kept talking all day. <laughs> it's been so interesting. So thank you so much for joining us and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you, Hannah. It was really a pleasure. Appreciate it. And uh, keep keep doing the good work that you're doing. So thanks again to Jeff. And actually, I'm going to comment on another sport Olympics related um, current <laughs> current event thingy uh, because we talked a bit about um, well perfect bodies. We talked about objectification and particularly for women. And I think it's really interesting at the moment. There's been two uh, kind of things that show um, that maybe the differences in how genders are treated. Uh, in sporting competitions and particularly women's uniforms that they're expected to wear um, when you had someone who was reprimanded uh, I think it was a UK long jumper in the Paralympics uh, because her shorts were, were too small um, but then the Norwegian volleyball team being fined because they they wore shorts instead of basically pants uh, not American style pants 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 underwear <laughs> basically and and that kind of disparity between what women are expected and actually punished for, for not wearing uh, and what men wear in the same events. And I think that opens up a big conversation about the way we treat athletes, the way we view them, et cetera, et cetera, um, and the objectification. So I think it was interesting that kind of came up. Um, I noticed, I noticed, I saw uh, Germany, their, their gymnastics team wearing kind of full-length uh, leotards in that sort of, we're not just going to... Um, we're really revealing things for, for the sake of it. And so maybe there is um, some movement and some more conversations about what people are expected to wear and why. Um, yeah, so I'm not a volleyball expert. I'm sure shorts are just as good as pants. To be honest, I feel like any sport I did, I would be much more effective wearing shorts than basically wearing like swimming shorts, uh, swimming pants. They're not called swimming swimsuit bottoms basically that's it's basically what they are um because I feel I'd be more self-conscious than that but I don't know anyway that's that <laughs> some thoughts on that and then the other thing we talked about play in this in this conversation which I loved I've been sort of talking about Alan Watts loads to everyone recently and on the podcast but that idea of life as play is something that he definitely talks about and it is definitely something I'm trying to be on board with and just think of life as play and so for the summer I'm super excited about that I've just got a stand-up paddleboard and I love stand-up paddleboarding and so I don't know whether why that makes me feel more playful but that idea of being able to kind of spontaneously play swimming at the river feels really playful as well actually and being able to yeah go I can I don't have to take life so seriously you know I can switch off I can have fun I can play I was thinking like I want to do like an adult summer camp that like you know with your kids and you just play and have fun and there isn't that pressure and it's just about enjoying the moment and the experience and I think often as adults we lose 
that playful side, we lose our creative side because we are so focused on work and pressure and expectations. And I think it's such a shame that we lose it. And definitely I'm trying to reconnect with my own playful side, with being more sporty, with painting, being more creative, all of that kind of stuff. My current thing, I'm going to be trying to make some, make some clothes and trying to create and play in that way. We'll see how that goes. Um, but I think it's, yeah, I think a lot as adults, I was thinking about this summer camp idea. And <laughs> I think that sometimes when we become adults, lots of our play and social things revolve around, not for everyone, but revolve around alcohol, about having a drink and unwinding. And whether that's that we then feel like we need something like that to, to kind of loosen up, I don't know. But um, I guess my, my final takeaway for you today is to think about play think about how you are playing in your life what what that looks like for you um because actually I think it's it's something that we know for children is so beneficial for learning for well-being for development and I really think that for adults as well is it's so important and and something that if we're honest a lot of us maybe don't prioritize don't make time for and even kind of discourage for ourselves because I don't know if we got to be grown up and serious. And I definitely think for a long time, that's kind of where I was at. So now enjoying being more playful. I was on the river this morning on my paddleboard. I'm going to be doing more of that. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do later for play. We'll see, maybe play with a pup pup. Um, but yes, think about for yourself what you are doing to play to create because I think the creativity that we also talked about is so valuable um and maybe try and have a little bit more of that in your life in whatever way appeals to you uh, whatever way you enjoy so I feel like I've shared a lot of thoughts today more so than I than I often do but it's so lovely to just chat freely with you maybe I'll have more solo episodes that are a bit more of this kind of free form rather than specific focuses like the one last week for the wedding but We'll see. Um, massive thank you to Sabrina and Jeff who joined us this week. Um, I really enjoyed both the conversations and I hope that you've taken something valuable from them as well. We'll be back next week with another two conversations. Uh, until then, feel free to shoot me a message on uh, Instagram or Facebook. I'm probably equally on both of them, to be honest, at Psyche Coaching, P-S-Y-K-H-E Coaching. And I would love to hear you know, your suggestions of what you want to hear more of on the podcast, um, what you want to hear more of from me, anything like that, uh, please do get in touch. Um, until next week, as always, take care of yourself, be kind to yourself, find some way to play <laughs> and um, I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.